Welcome to New Life, everybody. Glad to have you guys here. Oh, man, I am so excited that you guys decided to come out on a rainy Sunday, right? Come on. It's a rainy Sunday. You know what? You know what's really kind of good about the time era in which we live is that many of you didn't even realize what it looked like outside until your garage door opened and you backed your car out. Um, and so that's, that's, not, that's not too bad. You know what I'm saying? Not too bad. Hey, listen, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's great to have you guys with us. You are worshiping in one of our three auditoriums right now. Uh, we've got people that are worshiping with us down in the venue. want to say hello to all of them, as well as those that are worshiping with us out in North Platte. So we are one church in multiple locations at the exact same time right now at our 1045 time slot. It's a very unique experience for us to be one church in multiple locations. And so that means we have to have a dynamic staff. And I would say that we have a great staff uh, here at our church, and those guys are out there serving people in such a fantastic way. So thank you for being such an incredible church. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, though, for being such an incredible church that you know, allows us to attract quality staff. You do realize that you create a like a persona, an image that people either want to come and be on staff or they don't want to. And I'll tell you one thing I know about this church is it can attract some great players. And so I'm thankful to have the staff that we do. So thank you for being the people that you are. We are currently in a teaching series entitled Essentials. Essentials is our journey through the top 100 Bible readings, and we're preaching on 20 of them. So you're reading and we're preaching. If you're, not, if you're not a part of it, if you weren't here at the beginning of the year and you started attending New Life since then, well, don't worry, you're not left out. In our bulletin every week, we list the actual Bible readings that you need to be looking at for this next week. And then we'll preach out of it. Our children's ministry will preach out of it. Our youth ministry will use it as well. So we're one church right now for these numbers of weeks um, on the same page and it's been an exciting journey. We're going to be doing this all the way through to the end of May. And at the end of May, we're going to have a fantastic uh, wrap-up to this whole thing with a Mission Sunday. We've got uh, three different missionaries that are going to be with us. There's going to be some incredible stories that you're going to hear. Uh, Be inspired uh, to really give your life completely to God. It's going to be a real exciting time that's going to happen at the end of the year. So as we continue through the journey today, we're looking at Acts chapter 6 and 7, and we're dabbling into Acts chapter 8. So to get started today, um, we're going to be talking about uh, the issue of, you know, being deaf to God's voice. Deaf to God's voice. Um, I I know one thing that is happening in my personal life, and that is I feel a little bit like as I'm getting older, I'm starting to lose some of my hearing. Has that ever happened to any of you guys at all? Um, I'm noticing, yeah, someone someone just said, what? Uh, That's a, a classic joke, classic joke. Save it for another 10 years, it'll be new again. All right, so here's the deal. Though I've been watching TV with my wife lately, and I've noticed some things about the two of us. Like all of a sudden, I'll have to turn to Kim, and I'll have to say to her, what, what did they just say? Right? And then it, and, and it, that's one thing, but then she has to turn to me later on in the show, like, what, what did she just say? And we have to like help each other know what's going on. I mean, it's sad. We had the TV turned up to 50, and I don't... It's at 50. I mean, 
what in the world? Is that 50? We should be able to hear it. What's going on? So anyways, I mean, that's just what happens, right? When you get older. And when and all through life, we have selective hearing. Has anybody, has anybody experienced someone that you love that has selective hearing? Where it's like they, they hear certain things, they don't hear it all, you know? It's like, you know, my wife can ask me to take out the trash. And when she says, honey, would you please take out the trash? I mean, gently and kindly, you know, not overbearing. She's just asking me. When she says, honey, will you take out the trash? You know what I think? Garage. And when I think garage, I think project. And before I know it, I'm in the garage working on a project and the trash is still sitting in the kitchen. Does that happen to anybody? I mean, come on. It's that selective, it's the selective hearing. I, she said one thing, I heard it completely different. That happens with our kids all the time, by the way, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you guys, I'm sure your kids are way better than my kids ever were. Your kids probably keep all their toys right where they belong, right? They do everything you want them to do. But let's just say that they didn't, and you had to tell them, hey, would you, would you guys please clean up the entire basement? It's just like toys are everywhere. Have you ever had to tell your kids to do something like that? And then you, you go away and you come back expecting it to be done an hour later and it just looks messier, right? They never heard you pick up the toys. They heard you play with the toys. That's one of the things they probably heard. And you come back, you know, like every hour. Would you please pick up the toys? Are you hearing me? And then what do they say? Yes. And then they, you, it still doesn't get done. 30 seconds later, you could say to them, hey, mom's got ice cream up in the kitchen. And boom, I mean, they're off. They're just running, they'll run up there. It's like selective hearing. They hear what they want to hear. And that's kind of, that's a little bit of how we kind of live our lives. And this physical hearing that we have, it's important. You can do things to purposely damage it. You can do things to preserve it. And obviously, living life on this planet with knowing that your hearing is, is going, or for some of you, you've had that issue, you know that there's a challenge when you try to live life and you can't hear. But what about in your spiritual life? We know that there are, there, we have selective hearing in our physical life. Could we also have selective hearing in our spiritual life? Could we have selective hearing when it comes to God and what God's trying to say to us? And that we take what God's saying and we turn it for what we want to hear versus what he's saying. Yes, that can happen. Are there things that you could do in your life that would actually cause you to become spiritually deaf to God's voice? The answer to that is yes. There are some things that you can do that will cause you to become more spiritually deaf to God's voice. But that also means there's some things that you can do to preserve your hearing, to hear God's voice. There are a number of places in Scripture where it says something like this. He who has an ear, let him hear. Well, I mean, just reach up. I mean, you got an ear. You know what I'm saying? But can you hear? <laughs> this is now the, the writer of the Bible at this passage is not saying, do you have physical ears? He's saying, do you have spiritual ears? He who has a spiritual ear, let him hear. Today, my question to you is, do you have spiritual ears that are hearing God's voice? Or in, in your past, have you heard God's voice? But in the, in the you know, recent past, may, maybe you haven't heard his voice. Or do you feel like your ears are clogged with the wax of humanity, keeping the clarity of God's voice from getting through? I mean, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus gets to a point where the words that he's saying, they're bouncing off of the ears of the people. The people are fed up. The people have become furious. The people have become angry. The people are just done hearing his voice. Put him on the cross. 
Put him on the cross. Yeah, but he's not guilty of anything. Put him on the cross anyways. And that same attitude is what the early church is dealing with in the beginning of Acts. And in the beginning of Acts, these guys find themselves running into the same heart that Jesus ran into. Obviously, we're talking a very close proximity in a historical time period. We're talking about the same basic geographical area. So yes, we are dealing with the same physical people, but you would think that they may have learned their lesson by what they did to Jesus, but no, by no means. And now the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading like wildfire. Last week, we talked about it in Acts chapter 2. The church, out of one sermon from Peter, 3,000 people are added to the church. Later on in that chapter, people are added to the church every day. You get to Acts chapter 6, and you start to discover that the disciples are feeling completely overwhelmed. And the people are already bickering amongst themselves. Like, we don't get enough attention from the disciples. They're not taking care of our needs. Well, guess what? The church just exploded. I mean, there's thousands of people all over the place. And these 12 guys that have never really been leaders have to learn how to lead. So they... They, in their own brilliant wisdom of seeking God's heart, discover we need to get seven men that are godly, that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, and we need to empower them. One of those guys they empowered was Stephen. Stephen was basically given the title of food distributor. He was the food man. He came around, hey, you need food, you're a widow, I'm going to give you some food. Hey, you're poor, you're suffering right now, I'm going to give you some food. His title was distributor of food. That's a powerful title, isn't it? I mean, spiritually speaking, that's the kind of title that would make a person want to write a book and everybody would want to read it, wouldn't they? You know what I've done for the church? Distributed food. I don't think if you write a book and that's your title, many people are going to want to buy it. They're going to look for, I was a disciple I'm an apostle. I'm a theologian. You know? I mean, I was Jesus' right-hand man. Those are the types of things that are going to give you influence. But Stephen is selected because of his godliness and of his earthly wisdom that's displayed and knowing that he's a man full of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen goes about and he takes his job serious, guys. I mean, he's out there loving people. He's finding needs. He's meeting those needs. He's praying for people. He's seeing miraculous things happen. Stephen is shaking it up. And the religious leaders of his time, the same ones who had Jesus crucified, are seeing Stephen, and they're thinking to themselves, oh, time out. This guy is sounding like Jesus. He's looking like Jesus. He's doing things that Jesus was doing. He's empowering people. He's speaking a message, and people are actually believing it. We can't let this happen again. No, no, uh uh-uh. Let's bring him in here. Let's sit him down, and let's scare this Jesus stuff out of him. So they bring him in front of the high priest, the same high priest, the same high priest that judged Jesus, Caiaphas. How intimidating would that be? Knowing that this man who Jesus stood in front of, who continued to orchestrate the crucifixion of the one that now Stephen has given his life to and surrendered his heart to, he's now standing in front of this same guy, and this guy's drilling him with questions, saying, give an account for this, Acts chapter 7. So what does Stephen do? Stephen goes, and he he goes back into the, the history of the Israelites, and he starts replaying the history of what God did for Abraham. And what God did in Joseph's life. And what God did in Moses' life. And he keeps replaying this all the way up, really, to the current day. Dealing with even Jesus. And he says to these religious leaders, 
You guys are stiff-necked people. You guys have rejected the move of God's Spirit every time God's come to you. You guys have persecuted every, every single prophet that God sent to you. You guys are messed up and screwed up. You guys killed Jesus. You, you, you missed it completely. And at that, you can only imagine how they began to feel. Wow, those guys just started getting furious and they started getting mad. That leads us right where we want to be today. That brings us to a place of understanding. What I want to help you see today is God sent Jesus. People got all messed up in the head and they crucified him. God continues to send people like Stephen and the people keep getting the same response. What was the very first response that Stephen runs into when he's preaching the truth? Anger. Anger. And you know what? Anger is still something that affects you and me today from hearing the truth. And in fact, anger, one of the essential truths, a building block in our wall, anger is like a rock concert to the voice of God. Anger is this loud sound that trumps, it overpowers, it dominates the voice of God. I mean, have you ever been in an environment like a concert where the music was so loud and you're trying to talk to someone and they're this far away, but they still can't understand anything you're saying? Like right now. I mean, I just gave you the salvation call. I just helped you understand how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Anybody here? No. You couldn't hear because the rock concert of life is drowning it out. That's what was happening with these people. But it was anger. It was their anger that was acting as the rock concert, driving out the very voice of God, God's voice coming to the people. Take a look at what it says in Acts chapter 7. It says that when they heard this, pause, when they heard what? When they heard Stephen's report and how Stephen challenged them, and they got so irate at it, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. I mean, look at what the people did. What did they do? They plug their ears, and they yell with a loud voice. Why why are they doing that? They don't want to hear him anymore. They don't want to hear the truth anymore. That's what anger does to us. Anger's like, it's like wax plugging our ears so that we can't hear the truth anymore. It becomes this loud sound that dominates God's voice in our life. And we get angry at a lot of things. We get angry when our expectations aren't met. When a leader, you know, says he's going to do one thing, but he doesn't do it. When leaders let us down and we get angry at them. 
And when we're angry at a leader, it's going to be really hard to receive from them, whether they're a spiritual leader or they are, they are a physical leader on this earth. Or they, or they are your dad and you are a teenager and you get angry at your authority. Every time you get angry at your authority, anger becomes the rock concert that no longer allows you to receive truth from that leader, which, by the way, God gave you for this season. But I'll tell you what's even more damaging is when you get angry, like these guys got angry at Stephen, but they were more angry at what God was speaking through Stephen. That's what they were angry at. And we get angry at, at God. Now that becomes very damaging, especially when you don't think that God's met your expectations. When God doesn't do what you think he ought to do. That can damage a person's Christianity for the rest of their life. It can, it can really change the dynamics in your relationship with God. Or you still might come to church. You still might go through the motions. But in the back of your, your head and in the bottom of your heart, you hold a grudge towards God because God isn't doing or hasn't done what you think that he ought to do. And that anger, I'm telling you, even today, it acts like that rock concert. And it blares out this sound where I'm trying to speak God's word to you. Or you try to take God's word and you try to read it, but you're not getting anywhere. You feel like you're just the rat on the wheel, just running, 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 but not getting anywhere. And over time, you get weary. You can become depressed. You can give up and just walk away. And it has everything to do with that seed of anger that we allowed to come in. So we get angry at a lot of things. We, we get angry when our feelings get hurt. You know, when a leader says something, you know, and it's wrong, and it's wrong with the wrong attitude, and our, our feelings get hurt. We can, get, we can even have our feelings get hurt by the Holy Spirit. Why, when conviction comes, because conviction is God's way, it's God's voice of leading us to himself. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit speaks to us about the change that needs to happen, we don't want to change. So when we don't want to change, we kind of push God away. We get a little frustrated. We get angry about that. We get a grudge about that. And that keeps God from being able to do what he wants to do in our lives, just like with leaders. We get angry at the injustice that happens to our friends or to our spouse. You ever had a friend or a spouse had some kind of injustice happen to them? And you picked up on that injustice and you wanted to defend them? That could be a dangerous place, by the way. In fact... Many times, as a pastor, I see the long-lasting issues of anger are things that people are trying to defend in others, not even what's happened to them. And when you try to take on the offense of a friend or a spouse and hang on to that, many times the friend or the spouse will be done with it. They're over it. I mean, to them, it was, it's in the past, but for you, it's still fresh and it's still alive. And that can even happen you know, towards a person on this earth but it can also happen to God. Like, I was praying for this person, God, and you never came through for them. You made me look foolish. Well, I can't believe it, God. This person loves you with everything in their heart. Like a pastor friend of mine who died a few years ago after going on a missions trip, you know, and getting this disease inside of his body. What, are you serious? This guy was serving you. This guy was loving you. This guy was doing what you wanted him to do. People could easily be mad at God for something like that. And when you get angry, then it separates your ability from hearing God's voice. So anger towards a spiritual leader will always hinder your ability to hear God's voice, as well as anger towards God. Anger towards God will always hinder your ability to hear his voice. And in our anger, we have done some severely dumb things. In your anger, have you ever done something that you wish you never did? You ever said something? Now, please don't quote it now. 
But have you ever said something that you wish you could just reach out and grab and pull back? In your anger, have you ever done something that you wish you could undo? In your anger, has it ever caused you to have to go back and ask for forgiveness or repent to someone or to God? Probably for many of us. I remember when I was, a, I was in high school, and let's just make the facts the facts, okay? I was playing on a, the church softball team, and this is the fact. I mean, this is not pride. This is just the truth. I was the best third baseman on the softball team. In fact, I was the best third baseman probably on the planet at that time. That's just a fact. I mean, if we're just going to talk truth here, let's talk truth, all right? I mean, the ball came, and I could suck it up, right? And I could throw it the first, and I could get you out, and I could dive for it. You got it anywhere near me. I'm sucking that ball up, and I'm throwing it the first, right? So when I show up to the team, and I'm playing third, I'm happy. And the, the coach was the senior pastor, the senior pastor had a son who came to church maybe 50% of the time, and he was playing on the team as well. And about midway through the season, I show up to the ball field to play in the church league, right? And the pastor tells me, hey, Jeff, by the way, you're not playing third base today. What? And I just remember, man, I don't even, I, I, it was crazy. I just remember taking my glove and throwing it down the ground. I go, what? Are you serious? I'm like the best third baseman you got. Seriously. I'm the best third baseman you got. Are you, you're not going to play me? No, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm a, I'm, I got to play my son. Um, that's, I'm, I'm going to put him in there. What? And I kick the dirt. I pick up my glove and I go, well, if that's the way it is, I'm out of here. I'm, I'll go play for like, this was the AG church. I'll, I'll go play for like the, the Lutheran church or something. I don't care. We'll take you guys on. We'll beat you. And I just pick up my glove and my bat and I go walking off like some knucklehead, really. <laughs> I remember getting home and my dad saying, well, wow, you're home pretty early. You know, what's, uh, what's going on? Well, can you believe it? I showed up for the game, and he, he's not even going to let me play in the position that I'm best at. We could win if I play there. <laughs> my, dad, my dad's like, oh, really? Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, can you believe that? You know what? That guy doesn't even deserve to be called pastor. I'm just going to start calling him John, because that was his name. My dad's like, really? Okay. We'll see how this one goes. So Sunday morning rolls around. We walk into church. He's standing in the lobby. My dad walks up to him, shakes his hand. Hey, Pastor John, how you doing? Man, great to see you. Pastor John reached out his hand to me, and I'm like, hey, John. Well, my dad and I had some serious conversations that afternoon. But for the rest of that month, I refused to call that man pastor. That anger built up in my heart so much, I literally refused to call him pastor. So let me ask you a question now. How much do you think spiritually I received in those church services for that month? Because I was there every week. My dad made sure. How much do you think I actually received? Zero. In fact, I would say it was during that period of time that my life went into the negative zone. Because that's what anger does. Every time I looked up at that platform, I didn't see the pastor. I saw a fool. Every time I looked up at that, that stage, I didn't see a pastor. You know... Uh, speaking truth, I saw a man that I was trying to find the holes in his message. I was trying to find more evidence why he shouldn't be our pastor. How one moment of anger has the ability to escalate to cause us uh, to, to really ruin an entire journey spiritually. That's what I'm talking about. That's what anger does. That's the rock concert. And what was anger doing to the people when they were getting ready to stone Stephen for being this man of God? 
close my ears, yell with a loud voice, and throw a stone. Anger caused them to miss God's voice, which, by the way, you need to know something. When God speaks to you, that's a holy moment. When God speaks to you, it doesn't have to be that the clouds open up. It doesn't have to be this loud, booming sound. It's very intuitive inside of your heart. But when God speaks, that's a holy moment. In fact, I would even say that that is a gift to you. It's a gift to you. And anger caused these people, and it caused me at a time in my life, and it might be causing some of you to be missing out on the gift that God wants to say to you. So if you're breathing today, you know, you know you've dealt with anger. (laughs) You know that you have and you're going to. So let's look at Ephesians 4 for how we should deal with it. It says this, and don't sin by letting anger do what first? Don't let it control you. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives what? A foothold to the devil. That's, that's what anger, that's what anger can do. But how should we respond? We should respond by not letting it control us. Now, that doesn't take a lot of preaching to get that point across to you. You know when you're being controlled by something. So what should we do when we notice that? We should instantly recognize the enemy's trying to do what? According to the scripture, what is he trying to do? He's trying to get a foothold. He's trying to get his foot in the door. It's like you're trying to close the door on the salesman that you just kind of would wish would walk away. But every time you close the door, he sticks his foot in the door so you can't close it. So you have to keep the conversation going. That's what the enemy does. He sticks his foot in the door so you can't get it closed all the way. And as you keep fighting it, he keeps staying there until you give up a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, he's got his hip in the door. And then he's got his whole half of his body in the door. And then he's fully inside of the door. He doesn't want just a foothold. Please, always know this. The enemy is never out for you just for a foothold to get his hand, his fingers in the door. He's not content with his fingers slammed in the door so it can't shut. He wants to get all the way in. And that's what he wants to do with anger. So what should we do? Don't let him control us. So how can you respond differently? You can repent right on the moment, right? You can deal with it quickly, deal with it efficiently. That's what it says when it's saying, talking about don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not the physical sun going down, like deal with it before the sun goes down. It's deal with it quickly, deal with it efficiently, and when you do, you're going to find life. So Dial down the volume of anger by doing a couple of things. First off, dial down the volume of anger by not gossiping about your anger. Like When you have an offense with someone else, the worst thing you can do is go spread that filth around to as many people as you can by gossiping now about the person you're angry with. That's the worst thing you can do. It never brings healing to you, and it only takes your offense and it spreads it out on others like a, like a, I don't even know, like a virus, like sneezing on somebody with the flu. It's disgusting. It's not the kind of people that we should be. Don't find yourself, you know, even in the middle of it. When someone else comes to you, just go, that's not who I am. You know, I, I want to help you, but I'm not, I'm not here just to, like, gossip about somebody. If you, if you need to talk with somebody which many of you will need to, go to a trusted, godly advisor. Not a person that's like a parrot, though, that hears it and repeats it. That's not a trusted advisor. You go to a trusted spiritual advisor, someone like a life group leader, someone like, you know, I'm going to refer to him as a spiritual saint. 
They're that person that's the rock, the solid one. You know, they've been around. They've gone through all kinds of difficult things. They know how to help you. Go to a pastor. Speak with someone and actually ask them to help you get through this. But don't get, go around spreading it all over the place because it only makes things worse. Another way that turn down the volume on anger is if you're, if, you've got, if you're angry towards a leader, I've told you this before, but the best thing you can do to deal with that anger is to start praying for that person. When you start praying for people that you're angry at, it's hard to stay angry at them. I mean, I'm talking about the kind of prayer that blesses them, not the kind of prayer that tears them down. Not the kind of prayer that's like, God, please send a fiery boulder to teach them a lesson. That's not the kind of prayer. I'm talking about God, bless them, bless their marriage. That's the type of response that we need to have, you know, towards others. What if it's towards God, though? What can you do if you're, if you're angry at God? What can you do? The first thing you need to do is repent. God has literally done nothing, nothing intentionally to cause pain to you. God has never done anything because he's angry at you. We interpret it wrong. But God is perfect and holy and righteous in every way. And if God's motive changed even for a, an instant in what he did towards you, God would no longer be holy. We would have no reason to gather here and worship. But because God is holy, repent to him. Come to God. Open up your heart and say, God, help me to trust you again in my life. Another thing, just in wrapping this point up about how anger is like a rock concert to God's voice, is if you have suppressed anger, it's still anger. So if you have a grudge or something in your past, and you just kind of let time roll over it, but yet it's still there, and if we mentioned a person's name, or we brought up a certain circumstance, it would be as if the old became new again. That's suppressed anger. Take that, bring it to the altar today, and lay it down and walk away from it. You know what it's going to do? It's going to get off that altar and it's going to chase you right back to that pew. That's what it's going to do. And when it gets back there, just kick it. Just kick it. I mean, keep it away. As, as it keeps trying to attach itself back to you, then keep repenting. As it keeps trying to attach itself back to you, pray a blessing over that person. Pretty soon, pretty soon, it's gone. And it's no longer coming back. If you let anger keep its place, it will act like that rock concert, and you'll never hear the truth of what I was just speaking, but you'll never hear the truth of what God's trying to speak to you. Another essential truth of learning to hear the voice of God and you know, keeping, keeping your ears open to hear God's voice is how our religion distorts God's voice. You know, you know what I'm talking about, like distortion? You know, like... Um, like if your voice got detuned for a moment and you were trying to speak truth, but yet, you know, you couldn't understand it because my voice got detuned. You know, like if I try to speak truth to you right now, but you can't understand me. You know, like if I try to say things to you like Jesus is alive, he's real, his father sent him to the earth to give up his life, or the cross, so that she could surrender your life to him. But yet, my voice is totally distorted, and all you hear is just this craziness coming into your ears instead of the truth that God said. Could you, could you understand, you know, what I was even trying to say? Yeah, a couple of you, because you got messed up ears. <laughs> just joking, just joking. 
We're going to be praying for people with messed up ears later in just a moment. Um, so distortion, that, that kind of distortion, that's what, that's what it means when you value religion over relationship with God. And in this story that we're looking at in Acts, you see some people that are, they value religion over the relationship with God, the voice of God who was trying to come to them through Stephen, trying to speak truth, but they couldn't see it because the distortion of religion. And they go all the way to the extreme to do this in Acts chapter 6. They send lying witnesses to say, this man is always speaking against what? The holy temple and against the law of Moses. Now this was, these were the religious leaders that stirred all this up and got these people to lie about Stephen. Why? They cherished the holy temple, lowercase h, for a holy temple that God wanted to build inside of their hearts. They cherished this lowercase temple, this external physical thing, more than what Jesus was trying to do in their hearts. They cherished this archaic law of Moses after Jesus had already come and given his life and died on the cross and eradicated a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it, and he brought a freedom, he brought a new law, the law of Jesus, they would rather still live under the archaic law of Moses than live underneath the new law of Jesus, one full of grace and one full of mercy. We have the same ability to focus more attention on the physical and on the emotional and miss the spiritual heart that God's trying to do. And to get beyond it, we're going to have to look beyond just our feelings and what makes us feel good, and we're going to have to start valuing God's ways over my desires. What God wants to do in my life over just my comfort zone. What God wants to do over just my tradition. We need to stop trying to fight to protect tradition because our role is to promote Jesus. That's our role. Our role should be more on how do we promote Jesus and how do we promote Jesus growing inside of us than it is just hanging on to the traditions, whether they're 50 years ago, by the way, or whether they're five years ago. It doesn't matter. Tradition is tradition, and everybody has different ones. Let me give you an example of what I mean by when I talk about that God's more interested in us promoting Jesus than he is for us just fighting to protect tradition. Sunday as an example. You're gonna, I'm going to step on a few people's toes on these next few ones, but I'm not intending to do this. This is just, just bringing out some highlights, okay? There's nothing special about Sunday morning. We could do what we're doing right now. We could change everything and move it to Thursday night, and it would still be the same, the same intensity. Because there's nothing special about the time There's something special and important about us worshiping together and lifting high the name of Jesus and proclaiming that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, whether we gather on Thursday at 6.15 in the morning or we gather at Sunday at 10.45. I mean, there's really, Sunday morning is just tradition. But we could take this heart of gathering together, lift high the name of Jesus, and meet on Thursday. It would still be the same. There isn't... There isn't one version of the Bible, by the way, that's more holy than another. There are some versions that might be more accurate than others. But the most important thing, instead of fighting over things like that, is to fight for the cause of of the gospel of truth. To be in a church that speaks and preaches the Bible and to have God's word feeding into your life, living by it, and letting your life be altered by it. That's what's more important. That's promoting the cause of Jesus than it is just fighting for tradition. Another thing that you might run into, the service order is not holy. 
We can preach first, worship. We can worship first, then preach. We can take the offering at the beginning of the service and, by the way, at the end of the service. So, yes, you're welcome. We only receive the offering once. So, we could, we could mix it all up. We could sing a song, preach a point. Sing a song, preach a point, sing a song. We, we could do just about anything that we want to because the service order isn't holy. Let me tell you what, what's important. What's important is creating an environment where we are seeking to be in the presence of the Almighty, the living God. That's what's important. And to do things in such a way that we don't distract from God's presence, but we promote engagement with God's presence. Right? Are you following me with this? Not all of you are going to agree with me. I got it. That's okay. Let's talk it out one to another, brother to brother, sister to sister. What you wear to church is not what impresses God. You might wear some things that are offensive to others and God, but it's not, what, it's not about what you wear. What does God look at? God looks at the heart. What, what should we fight for? We should fight for an environment where people can come as they are, right? Because we're loving people by looking at the heart and by helping to promote the cause of Jesus in the hearts of people. Those are just some examples. Are you with me so far? All right. So religion, what it actually causes us to do, if you want to write something down, I felt like in my prayer time, this was a profound statement for me, okay? But religion, it causes us to overprotect the unnecessary and to underpromote the essential. It causes us to overprotect the unnecessary and underpromote the essential. We get our we get our focus on things like what they did during Stephen's time, where it was more about the physical building of the temple than it was the spiritual temple God was trying to build inside of their hearts. We get more focused on those things, the unnecessary things, that we stop promoting the things that are important, the essential. It's essential to promote Jesus. It's not, it's not essential to have a service order just the way that you like it. Right? It's, it, that's not the important things, which, by the way, all that's going to change in the next 20 years. It's all changing. It's all going to keep morphing. It's all going to keep changing. What's more important is this, that we're a part of a body of believers that promotes the cause of Jesus Christ, and we're leading people in a relationship with him. Let me tell you about the silent killer of religion that can seep into your life in such an instance that you don't even realize that it's there. It's when you're using words like, we have to versus we get to. We have, kids, come on, we have to read the Bible. Versus, hey, kids, come on, we get to read the Bible. Hey, guys, let's w- wake up, wake up, we have to go to church. Come on, we have to. Versus, hey, kids, come on, let's get up. We, we, get, to go, we get to go worship. Big difference. It's a difference between obligation and passion. It's a difference between duty and relationship. And if you see those simple little things starting to enter your vocabulary and your mindset, that's a warning. It's a warning. Don't go there. Because that, that's walking down the path of religion that's going to lead to a distortion, a distortion of God's voice. And that's going to leave you hanging in a place that's going to be pretty dangerous. So when we become more focused on religion than relationship with God, we, we, what we actually end up doing is killing God's voice in our own hearts and in the hearts of others. And that's exactly what was happening in this passage. Look at what took place in Acts chapter 8. This is after Stephen is stoned. He is, he's dead. 
right? This man Saul was there. Saul actually held on to the, uh, held on to the coats of the men who threw the stones. Saul's standing there, and he, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women, and he put them in prison. Saul was one of the religious leaders. Saul was one of the ones who had his ears distorted to God's voice because of religion. Saul was the man who stood there and said, yeah, let's stone this guy. Yeah, let's go through it. Yep, let's make it happen. Yep, I'm validating it. Go for it. Saul's the one who ends up riding around, persecuting Christians all over the place in Acts chapter 8. And then, boom, you flip the page in Acts chapter 9. God's getting his attention. God knocks him off of his horse while he's on his way to persecute more Christians and says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul gives his life to Jesus, starts living his life for God's purpose, and his name is changed into Paul, who you might now refer to as the Apostle Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament. Distortion, religion distorts God's voice, which can cause us to be killers of God's voice in the hearts of others. The simple little things we say to one another that kill and squelch God's voice, the way that we kill God's voice inside of our own heart. So for you that are older, that are here today, you would consider yourself to be older, which according to my example that I used at the very beginning of the sermon, I might actually be in that group, right? (laughs) With, huh, what did he say? If you consider yourself older, here's some things you can do to fight the distortion of religion. Stay young at heart. Just stay young at heart. We're going to get older. One day I'm going to have to walk into this church with a cane, I mean, God willing, right? One day, one day you, might have to, you might have to wheel me in. One day you might have to go pick me up, you know, at a senior living center to bring me to this church. One day, because we're all going to get older, but we can stay young at heart. Young at heart, going, God, what are you doing today? I want to validate that. I want to be a part of it. I want to pray for it. I want to encourage it. One of the things that we can do is we can stay focused on creating a church for the next generation, Realizing that one day, all of us are going to be gone. Who's going to carry on the lineage? What kind of legacy are we going to leave? Let's create a church so that the future generation can lead. Let's allow the next generation to lead today and not wait until we're gone. Let's give them an opportunity. Hand them the reins. Give them a shot at it while they're still underneath the confines of our coaching and our ability. And let's stay consistent in loving Jesus in our worship. Let's be the most passionate people when we gather together in corporate worship. Let's worship with passion. Let's show the next generation what it means to live, giving it all to God with our finances and with our relationships and with our time. Let's be that type of an example. That will keep us that young at heart. That will keep us that fervent fire on the inside of us. That will keep our eyes focused on promoting Jesus. Let's be more about the lost coming to know Jesus than our traditions or than just our, our schedules, or just the things that we do every single day. Let's try to stay young at heart. When we were younger, man, we changed easier, right? When we were younger, we were more flexible. Let's stay young at heart so that we can see God do what he wants to in us. But if you're younger, wow, you got a big responsibility. Never forget the foundation that you're building on. Always respect it. Never forget that what we have here didn't just, poof, pop out of nowhere. And then we have a responsibility to lead if you're younger, to lead with respect for what God's done in the past and to build on top of it. We build on top of it. That, yeah, we're going to have to make changes, sure. But we're building on top of it. We're not losing the heart of it. 
We're gonna, I want you, if you're in the younger generation, to help us figure out how to keep the church relevant by taking the power and the truth of God's word and finding creative ways for this generation to hear God's voice and to receive God and to have relationship with him. We desperately need you or we're going to become archaic and we're going to rally around Moses' law instead of, instead of what the newness that God's bringing in his spirit. So the next generation, we need you. But listen, above all, you want the reins, the lead? Show the, show the older generation that you're willing to give it all. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody that's serious in their relationship with God, that will dig the well of their spiritual relationship with God deep. That they are trustworthy. That you, that you are trustworthy to be trusted with the reins. And I know one thing about this church. They'll be willing to hand you the reins. But that's what they're looking for. That's how, we, that's how we'll keep the religiosity out and we'll focus on relationship by staying young in heart, staying focused on our purpose, realizing that this church doesn't end with our life. It has to be passed on to the next. And by the way, it's okay if it looks a little different. As long as it maintains the heart of promoting Christ and him crucified and leading people to Jesus. So today, in my wrap-up, We need to turn down the volume on everything else so we can focus more on the tone of God's voice. God's voice is found by the hungry. God's voice is found by those that seek him. When God's voice is found, life is found. When you hear God's voice, there is hope. We've got to turn down everything else, though, so that we can hear his voice. So let me wrap up with just two simple questions and leave it in your hands and then I'm going to pray, and it's your chance to respond to God. Whatever he's saying to you, you respond, you respond to him. These altars that we have at our church are for the hungry. Two questions that could radically change your life today. The first one is this. What is causing God's voice to be silent in your life? What is it? What's causing God's voice to be even more quiet than what it used to be in your life? What's making it harder and harder to hear God's voice? Is it sin? Is it a false belief? What is it? The Holy Spirit knows what it is. What is that thing? Because that's what you're going to want to come and lay down to God and repent to God with. What's causing God's voice to be distorted in your life? What things are you hanging on to from an earthly perspective that you're valuing more than what God's got to say? Lay those things down to him. What's causing God's voice to be more silent and what's causing God's voice to be distorted? Let's bring those things to God today. We'll be hearing his voice more clearly and that means we'll be accomplishing the mission that he has for us. And we'll see Kearney, North Platte, and other areas that God lets us plant a church. We'll, we'll continue to see fresh life, new life, people coming to know Jesus in a fresh new way. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you have not given up speaking to people. Lord, you continue to speak, and at times you're speaking and we're not, even he- we're not hearing it. We're, you're speaking, we're, we don't even know it. We're missing out on so much. Lord, because of the anger in our life or anything else that we're allowing the, the volume to be turned up with, or maybe it's just our own selfish, religious ways that's distorting your voice. Lord, that... Those are the things that got Stephen, your very first martyr, stoned to death. There's death that comes with those things. Life is found in you. 
May we be a church that surrenders, lays down our personal selfish gain that we would hear your voice today. Lord, let us come and lay down these issues of anger we might be hanging on to that are so loud they're drowning out your voice. Let's lay those down today. Lord, would your voice, would you help us remove the distortion that we'd hear you clearly, that we could worship you with authenticity, and we could accomplish your goals with authority and with power in our lives. Lord, ultimately, we want you to be lifted high. We want the name of Jesus to be lifted above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, our knees would bow and other knees would bow. We would bow our heart before you today in worship and proclaim you as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not about our agenda. It's about yours. It's not about our way. It's about your way. It's not about what makes us comfortable. It's about what you want to do in us. May we not reject your voice purposefully or unintentionally. May this church hear your voice and live by its power and by its authority. In Jesus' name, amen.